Good morning, friends. It is so good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, as Pastor Sam said, my name is Sarah Vermaris. And the last time I was with you was in the, the heart of winter in January, uh, when your church, along with most churches in this area, were still worshiping virtually. And so while I was warmly greeted, and my family was so warmly greeted by your pastors, uh, your worship team, your, your sound techs, and all the people who were making that service happen, my actual preaching happened to that little camera that's sitting back on the wall back there, and I know there's people watching virtually, so hello to you, which left me to mostly have to imagine uh, all of your beautiful faces watching on the other side of some screen um, somewhere across town. And so what a gift it is to be here this morning in this place, uh, in this sanctuary with all of you, and to be able to see your uh, beautiful faces here. And speaking of faces, those of you who are regular attenders of Alger Park may look around today and see some new faces to all of you. And while I don't know if I can claim every visitor that's here, I do know that many of my friends, some of my beloved friends, have come to join us today, and I see their faces. Uh, some members of my family are here, and they've brought their friends. And I am just struck as I look out at all of you, that this is one of the profound gifts of being part of the church. That those of us who have known each other maybe for our entire lives, join together with those we've only known for a few minutes. And somehow through the mystery and the grace of the Holy Spirit, we all become part of one body. We're, we're joined together around one redemptive story of God's love. And that is such a gift. And I'm really grateful to be able to share that with all of you this morning. So before we open the, the word together, I'd love to open in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning and we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful that the ancient story is our story. That your word's they don't get old. They don't go out of style. God, you say they never come back empty. But your word is, is life and truth and light. And so, God, we pray that you would open our hearts today to that word. May we hear you. And may what we hear make its way into the way we live. As we seek to look more and more like you in this world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Our passage this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a letter that was written to a variety of churches on the shores of Asia Minor. And so we can think about it as a letter that traveled from town to town, being delivered into the hands of church leaders and read out loud to their house churches. And we're going to pick up that letter in the second chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and you are welcome to follow along in your Bibles if you brought them, uh, or the words will be projected on the screen, or you also can close your eyes and just listen along as I read the Word of God. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. This is the word of the Lord. When I came to Calvin, what was then college, uh, in the mid-1990s, I met for the very first time a real, live Canadian. Having grown up in the heart of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, we didn't know a lot of people from our friendly neighbor up north. But at Calvin, there were Canadians by the dozens. And over the years, much to my delight, I grew to know and love many of these fine Canadian friends who introduced me to the wonders of their nation. Things like Tim Horton's Donuts, uh, a wonderful monetary system that has delightful sounding coins called loonies and toonies, and the uh, wonderful competitive world of curling. Uh, over the years, we delighted in comparing our worlds. We had M&Ms, they had Smarties. We said sorry, they said sorry. We had football, and lucky them, they had hockey. Uh, we had a president, they had a queen. We have miles, they have kilometers. I continue to have very good friends who live in the United States, but grew up in Canada. And over the years, many of them have become dual citizens. But across the board, no, no matter how long my Canadian friends have lived in the United States, they always express a deep sense of longing for their country of origin. They hold attention in their hearts, feeling in essence like they have one foot in each nation. And it makes them wonder to which country do I really belong? Today in our text, we meet a group of people who are actually asking that same question. As Jesus' followers living under Roman rule, they have their feet in two different kingdoms, two different worlds. And this creates a tension. It makes them wonder, to which kingdom do I really belong? When Peter's letter arrives from Rome and is delivered into the hands of the local church elder on the shores of Asia Minor, the excitement spreads quickly. As word gets around town, people drop what they're doing and quickly hurry out their doors. This is really big news. 
They've been hungry for some kind of word from their leaders. Since Peter's miraculous escape from prison a few years earlier, little had been heard from him. And as it turns out, the beginning of their life together as a church have been somewhat harder than they imagined. The coming together of Jew and Gentile was hard enough. But the really hard part has turned out to be the daily living. Even though most of them are still walking the same streets, living in the same homes, working the same jobs, they no longer feel quite at home here. Their decision to follow Jesus, to follow the teachings of Peter and Paul, have made them feel a little bit like strangers in their own home. And they are tired of it. Tired of the sideways glances. Tired of the jeering that follows them as they walk together to their weekly meal. Tired of the no Jesus followers allowed signs that seem to be cropping up on more and more business fronts around town. Tired of having to explain why they won't go into the pagan temples anymore. Why they don't insist on kosher food when they gather together anymore. And they are really tired of living under the thumb of Roman rule. With governors who harass and question and accuse them of all kinds of things. Who constantly flash the image of Caesar in their face. Who question their allegiance to the empire. And they wonder, isn't Jesus their new king? They're soon to be coming back king? To which kingdom do they belong anyways? We can hear the question ring out in the hearts of our ancient friends as they await the contents of that letter. And we can feel a little bit of resonance in our own souls too, can't we? Perhaps we don't live in a world where jeering and harassment follow us around. But as people who are trying to love and follow Jesus, there are times where we feel a little bit like aliens in our lives too. A few years ago, the Pew Research Foundation conducted a massive study and they came out with the bold heading in the U.S., decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. Their ensuing charts and bar graphs and data all pointed to one reality. The church is losing members across almost all demographics, genders, ages. It turns out that in our society, living life as a follower of Jesus is becoming a bit more alien. And perhaps in an even more surprising and heart-wrenching turn, many of us have begun to sense this feeling of alienation right within the church itself. As we look around at the disagreements, at the infighting, at behaviors we don't understand, at the way Christians seem to be divided in ways that we couldn't have ever imagined. We find that even the church sometimes doesn't feel like home. 
And whether we feel like an alien in our culture or even in our church pews, each of us experiences this in distinctly different ways. Some of us live in families where our Christian identity makes us a bit of a laughing stock. Some of us walk through the halls of our high school feeling socially ostracized because we don't want to participate in the partying that seems to be happening more and more amongst our friends. Some of us feel silenced when we speak of the way our faith informs our politics. Some of us feel mocked when we speak of being a Christian in the academic world. Some of us feel ignored when we cry out for change in the face of deep injustice. Almost all of us feel unsure about how to best embody the beauty of the gospel in a world that often doesn't seem to want to have anything to do with it. And like our ancient friends, aren't we a little bit tired of it all? Tired of living in a world that feels indifferent to the things that we hold so close to our hearts? Tired of living a faith that's seen as out of style? Tired of trying to understand how it is that we're supposed to live in this world as a different kind of people? What does it really mean to have Jesus as our king? To which kingdom do we belong anyways? And so with the people of our text, we hold our breath a little bit as they tear open that letter. What will Peter, this fiery apostle, this beloved of Jesus, this rock of the church, have to say to this tired group of followers, is it finally time to rise up? Time to separate from this pagan world. Time to push back. But the words that follow take everyone in that room by surprise. Because Peter does not issue a rallying cry against the Roman government. He does not promise an end to their alien status. He does not tell them to go hide away in a place where they can worship and live however they want. Instead, he says this. Here is what I want you to do as an alien people who love and follow Jesus. Stay right where you are. Pay attention to the kingdom you live in. Live good lives. Listen to the people who rule over you. Give respect to everyone you come in contact with, whether that is the government official who kicks dust at you or the store owner who slams the door in your face. Because here is who you really are. You, my beloved brothers and sisters, are slaves to God alone. Your allegiance is totally to him. But here is how people are going to know what king you serve. By living lives that are so beautiful and so peaceful and so full of kindness and respect that no one will be able to find any reason to say anything against you or, more importantly, against the God that you serve.
Peter goes on. When you live these kinds of lives, lives where you listen instead of yell, where you serve instead of fight, where you engage rather than withdraw, where you choose to see humanity in everyone instead of hatred, here is what happens. God's glory is revealed. The people in the room fall silent as the words sink in. God is inviting them, aliens and strangers, the tired and the ordinary, to be part of his kingdom work here. This is their identity. This is their call as slaves of God. Their status in the kingdom of God makes them willing servants to the kingdoms of this world. And the same message comes to us today. Aliens and strangers, the tired, the ordinary. God says, friends at Alger Park, here's what I want you to do. Stay right where you are. Pay attention to the kingdom, the apartment complex, the street, the neighborhood, the city in which you live. Live lives there that are so beautiful and so peaceful and so full of kindness and integrity that no one will have any reason to speak against the God you serve. I recently read a story from a book called The Good and Beautiful Community by James Bryan Smith. In the story, Smith describes an event that happened at his sister's church. One chilly fall morning, the church hosted a funeral for a young man from their town who had died, who happened to be openly gay. Prior to the service, word got around town and while the grieving family and friends were inside, engaged in the holy work of remembrance and sorrow, crowds of people from other churches gathered outside to protest. They brought signs and bullhorns. They yelled words of cruelty and hate right alongside the name of Jesus. The congregation inside was stunned. What should they do? Here is what they didn't do. They didn't sneak out the back door, heads bowed, trying to escape the scene out front. They didn't gather their own bullhorns and signs and, and burst through the front doors ready for battle. Instead, here is what they did. They went downstairs after the service into their tiny church kitchen and they plugged in pots of hot water. And several minutes later, they walked out the front doors of that church carrying trays in their hands. And one by one, they offered their critics a cup of warm, creamy hot chocolate. Can you imagine hot chocolate 
There is something profound that happens when opposition and disagreement and cruelty are met with kindness and goodness and the heart of a servant. And this is the way of God's kingdom. This is how he says he will spread his glory, his Shekinah presence, his God with us kind of light. And this way of being in the world might look very different to each one of us. It might mean sitting down for coffee with that family member who thinks my faith is crazy. Telling my friend at parties that I will always be their designated driver if they need me. Bringing a plate of cookies to the neighbor who plays their music too loud at all hours of the night. Sending a gift card to my school administrator or principal with a note that says something like, I bet you've had a really hard couple years. Please take your family out for dinner on me. It might even mean showing up at that next important rally for justice in that area that you care so deeply about, armed with a pot of hot water. So that you are ready, if the opportunity arises, to reach across and offer your critic a cup of hot chocolate. When Peter tells us, as followers of Jesus, to submit to our authorities, to be servants to those around us, to care and engage and live good lives in the kingdoms in which we find ourselves. He is repeating a kingdom pattern that has been told over and over and over again in God's love story with the world. God says, I am inviting you to be like me so that others will come to know me to glorify me. This is my heart, my plan, the way of my kingdom. And thanks be to God, we don't walk this path alone. Because in the person of Jesus, we see the perfect manifestation of this kingdom principle. Jesus the one with all authority, all power, all glory, all honor, kneeling on the ground to wash dirty, stinking feet. Jesus, the holy, spotless, perfect lamb, reaching out and touching the diseased and the leper and the outcast. Jesus, mocked, by authorities, tortured by rulers, and perhaps most painfully misunderstood by even those closest to him. Offering himself as a slave to the world, even to the point of death, so that all people could be drawn into the extravagant love of his father. And so the question still lingers, to which kingdom do we belong anyways? And the answer of Jesus is clear. As people who belong to him and his kingdom, we belong to both. And in his mercy and goodness, he will use us 
for his sake, for his kingdom, and even for his glory in the kingdoms of this world. Us, the alien and the stranger, the tired and the ordinary. Drawn into God's love story with the world as we daily imitate the posture of Jesus. Loving our king by serving his kingdom. One cup of hot chocolate at a time. Will you pray with me? Father God, we want to be people who show with our lives what king we serve. And we know that we can't do that without your spirit working in us, equipping us, convicting us, teaching us. And so, God, we ask that even now, even right now, as your word is fresh and is stirring in our hearts, God, that you would bring to mind the people and the places and the situations where we might take the posture of a servant. As we seek to be people who follow you, give us an ever-increasing love, God, for your world and the courage to serve it with humility, kindness, and grace. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.